to publicly call out your your postdoc and saying, oh, they 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 didn't do this, and they're and they're they're wasting their time, and they have their personal life to yeah. to 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 attend to. That was yeah. um that that was a bit. Um, where a bit where, where were you, Phantom postdoc, when we were staying up all night beating this data set with rattan <laughs> sticks? <laughs> where, where were you when we were demanding a pound of flesh from these numbers? I'll tell you where you were, madam. You were at home sleeping like a person who demands a work-life balance, you monumental hippie. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with uh, James Heathers from Northeastern University. And for the first time in Everything Hurts history, we have a special guest. We've, uh, today we have uh, Robin Koch, who is Assistant Professor of eHealth at the University of Southern Denmark. Hello, Robin, and thanks for, thanks for joining us. G'day, Dan and James. Um, can I just say it's a huge honor to be on your podcast, and seeing as I'm the first ever guest, apparently... You're clutching at straws at this point in your, <laughs> your podcast series. This Definitely. Is, you know, yeah, Definitely. This is probably um, the last. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, look, you, you think of it, like, when you're awful, why wouldn't you start at the bottom of the barrel? Yeah, this We're is sort of chipping our way through. This isn't even the bottom of the barrel. This doesn't even deserve mention in the same sentence as bottoms or barrels at all. So, yeah, best of luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> Once the litigation storm has passed, I'm sure it'll be fine. This is yeah. oh, this is fan- I I always hoped it would start like this. Disappointment. Here we are. Yeah, so that's kind of an empty feeling and a slow slide into uh, irrelevance. Well, more <laughs> irrelevance. Well, Fantastic. Well, it's bleak. The, the, as an yeah. assistant professor, you get used to irrelevance really quickly. So. Yeah, I'll bet. What does that mean in um in Europe? Because assistant professor in the US is kind of like we you know we run you around the quad with a cattle prod and make you do all the terrible jobs, but also you know do all the teaching, but also do all the publishing, and uh, don't screw it up or we'll chuck you out. It's not quite that bad. It, I, I think it means all of what you just said. Only you get to laugh at the postdocs. That's basically it, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Time to start I've, planning your move to Scandinavia, James. I've I've made a serious vocational error then, haven't I? Yeah. But <laughs> we've that's just old ground to cover by now, old isn't it? Old ground. <laughs> well, um, I, I think the, the the first thing I wanted to to, to to chat about was this um this there was a blog post, a very interesting blog post that came out last week. Uh, which was which was titled "The Grad Student Who Never Said No." Now I saw now, a lot of people. That sounds a lot like a, a just so story that that ends uh, very interestingly. I mean, a- anything yeah. generally that's suffixed with that doesn't say no. <laughs> yeah, th- this was uh, this is a really interesting post that got um, that got a lot of interest online. Um, and I was actually drawn to it because uh, personally, one thing which has actually really served, served me well in my research so far is uh, the idea of just saying yes to stuff and, and figuring it out later. So I, I first saw the title, I'm like, okay, this generally agrees with, with how I approach things. Um, but then I actually read the post and um, for, for some pretty clear reasons, it, um, it got a, a, a ton of criticism online, uh, really for, for two main issues. Oh, and we're going to link um, to, the, to the post as well. 
Um, the the first one being um, academic working environment practices um, because it describes an unpaid intern. Um, we're not really going to cover that that so much, um, but more so there was a lot oh, of criticisms on. We? we can we can if we want. Oh. Uh, yeah, we, we can we can do it. Um, okay. But I, I think first though we'll tackle the the criticisms of uh, of research practices. Oh, there were a few was, of them, um, weren't there? Yeah. So do do you want to give us a summary, James? No. No. <laughs> Okay, I, look, I, let me <laughs> let me put this into context. Um, so my filthy European friends can be here. It is a a, a balmy two in the afternoon in uh, Norway and Denmark, respectively. But it's eight in the morning here, and I go to bed at about half past one because I'm essentially a troll. Um, so I'm having difficulty sticking my head together. You get to do everything, Dad. Go. Okay. All right. So in, in this post, this uh, researcher describes an unpaid intern uh, analyzing a, a data set, which on first blush uh, didn't seem to have any significant results, or it was, it was a null. It was a null study, or no results. Um, but then the um, uh, the post describes that this intern tried a number of different analysis approaches, and uh, and, and here, here's one quote from the study. Um, every day she came back with puzzling new results and every day we would scratch our heads and ask why and come up with another way to reanalyze the data <laughs> with, yeah, with yet another set of plausible hypotheses. Now, if that doesn't describe the state of psychology over the past five years, I don't know what does. Robin, why are we all... One of the frustrating things about podcasting is people can't see the video chat, and I just watched all of us trying not to laugh at the same point in time <laughs> and read that description out. <laughs> so for the, for the cheap seats, what's, what's wrong with that explanation? I mean, what's, what, what, is the, what is the poor practice that's going on there? Well... For me, it sort of started when I saw, well, we had these null results and we thought, yeah, implicitly he sort of says, yeah, we can't publish that. It's a null result. Fallen at the first hurdle, I guess. And then it was, yeah, let's let's just keep sort of torturing this data until something at least comes out. But it didn't. And then they tried even more. I'm making the, the brackets now plausible hypotheses, you know, and which probably get more plausible the more they think about it and the more they torture the data but it's the first thing i I saw this article and i thought this has got to be satire and this is this is perfect (laughs) this is the perfect story of basically everything that goes wrong in a psychological lab and Mm. it wasn't satire apparently yeah it was also um the the the, one of the interesting aspects is that the uh the, the senior guy who who ran this thought this 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 is a good not it's not a cautionary tale like this is a good story of how everything went <laughs> right and I'm going to of my own free will write it up and then tell everyone and as you can imagine when someone who uh, has more than a passing interest in research practice read this they hit the roof and then showed everyone else and everyone else had exactly the same reaction um, it is kind of it's from a practice perspective it is straightforwardly wrong 
And it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's it, it's it's very far from evidence given under coercion or something <laughs> like that. It's a, a, a free confession of the pact. It's like, we, we got the data set and we repeatedly kicked it in the penis until something happened. Um, there's there's a very dangerous assumption that's through the blog post that um, that I, I've seen people do this close up. And the idea is that when you get all these numbers and you spend all this time, the data set now has value. It's got a thing. You've gone out and you you've gone out and collected something, and the data that you've got necessarily contains information. Why? Because yeah, it has to. Because it has to. It's a sunk cost fallacy. You know, we we invested so much time in this, so it has to give us something at least, at yeah, least one yeah. publication. Yeah, it's like what's yeah, the were, what's, were, what's were, the ROI on my publications. data? What's that? So, there, are actually, there are actually five publications that came out of this. Yeah. Um, out of this particular analysis. Now, I, th- I think the one thing to, to to put up front is that I don't think there's any problem with with doing this unless you were bleedingly upfront and saying this was so exploratory. We had no hypothesis. Um, and the other point is actually saying all those five papers, making it very explicit. This all came from the exact same data set. You know, I, I think, think that's fine. I think of the five you, papers, as long as four, four came from the same data set and one didn't, okay. apparently. Or it okay. was tangentially related to, to whatever they were doing. But it's not so much the fact that he sort of owns up to doing this, but it's um, he, he did take, to his credit, you know, he did take some time to respond to each comment on the website. It was a, it was a polite response, and he said, yeah, well, and, you know, uh, p-hacking's bad, of course, uh, this and that. But uh, in the end, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Make hay while the sun shines, he says. And this, well, yeah. he's a marketing professor. What is he going to say? Yeah, because I noticed that you actually wrote a comment, um, Robin, yeah. and yeah, um, yeah you, you got a, a polite response, and it, it, it's. I was sort I of know, disappointed <laughs> in this age of flame wars and, and doxing and God knows what else. Yeah, it was it was quite a quite a polite response, and um, but uh, yeah, a lot of it seems like it wasn't there. Were just some didn't seem to be some sort of connect no, between no, him no. saying, "Oh yeah, p p hacking is a problem." I'm like, well, "Yeah, well, you kind of described exactly p-hacking. what p hacking." <laughs> it was like yeah. it was like him saying, "Yeah, of course, bank robbery is totally wrong," but in the end, you know, you got to make some quick cash. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't. I have to pay my child support and shit. You know, I can't just sell the gun back. Oh, that's not a good return on investment. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, it's his reaction that sort of compounded a problem uh, by him basically saying, yeah, I don't see anything I did wrong. Mm. Uh, look, you, you, it's very easy to find a senior academic in any number of areas where they'll do something that's not best practice and then you'll say, what did you do that for? You know that's not how it's supposed to work. And they'll go, oh, absolutely, I know how it's... I know how it's supposed to work, and yes, bad things are definitely bad. And um, go fuck yourself. I got a mouth. I got mouths to feed here. So- but do you think? Because I, I get the sense he doesn't. He may not actually know what p hacking is. That his idea of p hacking is data manipulation, not you know the idea of of running a million a million tests because. I just I can't see how someone can be so upfront about saying, yeah, I did these things and it's not a problem and just waving it off. I actually get the sense he doesn't know. He may not know what, what it actually means. I don't know. It's Look, it's, it's possible. Wave- we've, we've talked about this 
many times that the fact that it's much easier to bullshit yourself than it is to bullshit other people. It's very easy to get stuck in a loop where you, you make an assumption about what you're doing and how it should work. And then you just run off the end of the earth with it. And it has its own ability to sort of self-justify as you go along. Ollie's both, he, he, you know, he's, he's also sort of gloating about it. You know, look at me being a fantastic mentor and, and getting this person to write five papers from this tortured data set. And, and then, yeah, that, that's yeah. okay, you know. But then, oh, this stupid postdoc who'd rather be, you know, being on Facebook or swiping on Tinder or going to the gym or... <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah that was a really that was really odd like, that was one, that to, was the strange to publicly piece. call out to publicly call out your, your postdoc and saying oh they 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 didn't do this and then and then they're wasting their time and they have their personal life to yeah to 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 attend to that was yeah. um that, that was a bit um, where, a bit where, where were you phantom postdoc when we were staying up all night beating this data set with <laughs> rattan <laughs> sticks <laughs> <laughs> where, where were you when we were demanding a pound of flesh from these numbers? I'll tell you where you were, madam. You were at home sleeping like a person who demands a work-life balance, you monumental hippie. Well, as yeah. as was this guy probably while this poor Turkish grad student was, you know, beating the data unpaid set. intern. Unpaid intern was beating the data set to within an inch of its life. Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop something else on you right now. Um. You guys are undoubtedly familiar with the Grimm test and the associated uh, associated techniques we have for reverse engineering data accuracy. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah. You want to give us a quick summary for? Is this a plug? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've we've done an episode <laughs> on it. Um, it's not it's not a plug as much as well. I don't know what, by the time the podcast is released, I don't know what people collectively will know. And I've only been peripherally involved with this and the fact that I've been told it's going on. Um, the Grim Test, uh, the 22nd version, is that if you count data in chunks, if you have a survey and you answer something on a scale that goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and you have a relatively small amount of people, then you take an average of these chunked values. No one says on a scale, uh, are you anxious right now on a scale from one to nine? No one says, ooh, or I'm feeling very one and three quarters. You don't, you don't have that. You have, you have whole numbers. When you take the average of small amounts of whole numbers, it means that there's means you can't have. It means there's means mm. that don't exist. Yeah. In other words, so we take 10 people, uh, we score them all from one to nine on anything. It doesn't matter. And they're all very low. And then we take the average and say, it's 1.01. It can't be. There's no way to assort the numbers in which in a case where that mean exists. And the less people you have, the less means are actually possible. And what this test does is not, I mean, people have, have misunderstood it sometimes and thinking that it's looking for fraud. It's not looking for fraud. It's looking for inconsistency. What it usually means is there are, conditions that we didn't report there are people that we've excluded from the data set and then we didn't update the means there are missing values in the data sets that we're doing so the accuracy is not what you think it is basically something's off something's not being explained properly so if you have a grim failure um it means that generally there's something that hasn't been reported an exclusion an omission a mistake something somewhere that's not 
explained by the data. Anyway, these papers have a forest of them. A lot. A real, actual lot. Um, I don't know when the people who are working on this are going to... And I've had a look through some of it, and it's really... Yeah, this is profound. And it's um, beyond the realms of rounding errors, all that kind of business. It's well beyond kind of, oh, we accidentally misreport. We had two versions of this, and then we didn't realize these two people were wrong, so we excluded them, and then we forgot to change the way that it's reported. That shit is normal. And you, sometimes you get 100 values in a paper. Are a few of them not perfectly correct as described? Of course they are. There's only so much time in the day. Go fuck yourself, right? And then you start getting into subconditions. What's the interaction between these two groups changing over time? What's the difference between these two essentially identical questions? Are there any difference? And you kick it in the dick over and over and over again. And eventually when you get to reporting the thing that works, <laughs> you, you don't have a full description of what's actually happening. So when you have lots, generally it's a sign that you looked very, very hard and that you changed a lot of uh, acceptability stuff and conditions. And it's it's really alarming when you, when you test this stuff. It's really alarming when you see something that's made this many inconsistencies. Mm. Now, I don't have any problem telling you this um, for the one very obvious reason is that this stuff is absolute. If it's inconsistent, it's inconsistent. It's not a matter of like, oh, we're going to have a trenchant argument about no. It's either it's either <laughs> wrong or it's either incorrectly reported. It's, they're mathematical oddities. Yeah. The numbers that are in it can't be. So we will see how that shakes out over the next little while because I'm not doing those analyses. Um, I think Nick is working on it and so is Jordan who frequently gives us very directive podcast requests, which are <laughs> usually <laughs> really keep, good. Keep them coming though. Keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, oh, man, I love he, topic requests that means I don't have to do any good. of that thinking bollocks um, oh, but, but but hearing people like you know just stories of oh, we, we removed this person and we, we removed that person it's um, an outlier from, oh, but particularly coming from a, 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 a sort of a clinical trials background like that kind of stuff is just oh, like you just, but, you but just it, can't it, do that kind of stuff but, but it happens for the most you know, blatantly obvious fraudulent reasons. I mean, I've seen so many medication trials where they said, yeah, this person didn't really respond to the medication in the intervention arm, so he sort of dropped it because, you know, well, oh. he did respond, so right. he's a patient. Go fuck yes, right this, this, Yeah, this, this, <laughs> isn't, this isn't working at all. Yeah. What, what, are you, what are you even doing here in this clinical trial if you refuse to get better, <laughs> you, you, ch you chippy little bastard? Go on with you. Go on, walk it, walk it off. Yeah, and they they usually pack walk this it in off, a sort walk of... your your associated anxiety <laughs> disorder off, God. and they usually pack this in this really verbose, wordy sentence wedged into column three on page fifteen, somewhere in between a table and a figure, and it's you know oh yeah yeah, yeah fifteen patients sort of you know no sort of... <coughs> anyway table one <laughs> yeah. result Hoo -hoo, statistical significance. Yes, the significances. Mm. Don't we just love the significances? When will that disease go away? He said, having absolutely no plan whatsoever to fix it. Look, um, I, I think with the, uh, 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 it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a slow uh, a, a slow change. But um, I, I do honestly see, uh, firstly, more of a focus of effect sizes, and um, as that continues. 
um, I, I think there's going to be less focus on significance um, and also more of a focus on uh, on base factors and, and Bayesian analysis. Um, but the thing is, you know, because do you, a lot do of you think of a more of a focus on coming up with ideas that aren't a sack of shit would be fun in the first place? <laughs> Um, no, it's just, you know, we're always going to have that. It's always going to, it's always going to be around. Well, you're always going to have that. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I have large, large effect sizes. Thank you very much. Don't you get your effect sizes out and wave them around. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, but that, that's, um, yeah, well, we, we did, we, we have actually done an episode on, on effect sizes, so you can go back and, uh, and, and listen to that. But what do you reckon when it comes to the whole, um, you know, this uh, the, un- the unpaid intern versus the uh, versus the postdoc that said no? I think people should say m- no more often. Grad students should learn to say no. But this is this is coming from, uh, and I hope this word won't trigger anyone. This is coming from a position of privilege, where uh, mm-hmm. in in the Dutch system, as a PhD student, you're actually just a paid uh, person. And you just get to sit there and play with data or a project or whatever. And you're not an unpaid intern who could get kicked out of the lab when you write something that doesn't agree with your supervisor. Mm. So that's very hard for me to 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 pass judgment on. And I can imagine if you're a paid an, an unpaid intern in a big name lab with a big name boss, yeah, you're going to do something to please your boss. Um, keep your mind out of the gutter, James. What? I, I didn't I said, visibly react at all. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's even <laughs> that's, more creepy. But. That's even creepier. <laughs> Look, Robin, Robin, Dan and I have both got the same problem. And the problem is that we've got way too much energy when it comes to this stuff. And I, I don't have a... like, like in, in general, should you say yes to stuff? My, my answer of, yeah, you probably should, um, comes from Unless. the fact that... Well, it... <laughs> Yeah, to, to the to the right things, obviously. It's just like what what, have, what yeah. do you what do you do in a if, it, if if it's a situation where they say, uh, can you take this data set and kick it around until it's usable? You, it's it's going to be. I mean, I think people need to learn that anything you do that goes on a permanent record that stays in a collective literature until the end of time is always going to be a problem if it isn't any good. We're just starting to get all these really interesting forensic techniques together now. And there's a little sort of group of them. And the amount of really famous well-known papers or really famous well-known collective effects where the papers can be aggregated and then determined whether or not they're accurate or straightforward. The amount of these things that are gradually getting bled out is really interesting so the amount of stuff that you hack together and then put under your name in the public record that's bad has a a a really non-zero probability of coming back and biting you in the ass Mm. you want to do a really bad dodgy paper as a graduate student well you know at, at some point in time someone may ask very serious questions about it and people well, do not great, think. Was, people do not think in terms of this longevity. Otherwise, plagiarism wouldn't ex, wouldn't exist at all. How the, the it's got to be the dumbest crime you can think <laughs> of. There's a, I'm always amazed. Not that it happens. Because obviously, it's useful. I can't be bothered writing four sentences. Um, it's the fact that it's 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 infinitely 
it, it's you're, you're infinitely guilty when it's found because it's the exact right thing. You can't. Oh, I spontaneously wrote six paragraphs that were identical to the previous paper. Well, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's almost hard to work. Yeah, you're one hundred. You're one hundred percent guilty of the thing. The whole paper gets blown up, and then it goes on your permanent record forever. Plagiarist. Or hmm. everything looks like this. You have to learn what to say no to and what to say yes to. And as a starting grad student, you have no idea what to say yes to or what to say no to. You say yes yeah. because your supervisor mm. says, here, this is a great idea. And you say, oh, sure, this is a great idea. Yeah. Ooh, publication. Yeah. That is that is true. It's, 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 it's difficult to learn. And obviously, look, there's a, there's a, the, the problem with it being a kind of buyer's market when it comes to taking people in the first place. It's, it's the same as, as uh, when the power completely rests with the people who are in command who are who are setting research agendas oh i really don't want to do that it seems like a terrible idea well i'll get someone who will young lady <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that's that's implicit they don't even have to say that they just walk you know to the next office and say hey who wants a publication and then everyone raises their hand and says yeah i want a publication because everyone's been telling me publications are great and then yeah. the grad student who said no to keep in this theme, you know, it's going to it's come up. It's shamed. It's going to come up in the next job review to say, well, you said no to this project and, well, well you're, you're a liability to this department, etc., etc. Yeah, and mm. you got bad hair. And you got stupid <laughs> face. Yeah, you have to where go did, down Where the did that come from? Mm. <laughs> but you, the point is, you don't, you have to learn what to say no to and you have to learn what to say yes to. Hmm. That's yeah. not yeah, so, exactly. by by listening not, to this podcast, you will learn that. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, I think what um, the, the kind of benefits that James and I have found is um, more kind of saying yes to these, these these potential projects that on paper seem okay, and actually going well. I don't know how to do them, but I'm going to figure out how to do it, and then ha and have a look and, and take that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's it does, that of, always depends on like yeah. the nature of the thing because we've both been in a situation where people go, "Who's vaguely competent and might be able to do this if we kick them a bit?" <laughs> oh, those two scruff. All right, it was never a matter of uh, no one was ever standing over you with a crowbar trying to make you take stuff to make them look better. These were, the, mm. were always actual opportunities, and we both mm. have the same hyperkinetic approach to stuff. It's like something's put in front of you and you suddenly go, oh, 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 oh I'm interested in that. Give me the, give me the fucking thing. Give it, a, you, you stick it in a big pile and you go, look at all these things I've got. I'm excited about things. And, and you, it's, yeah, look, it's, you can't tell people though have that approach because that's congenital. Mm. That's just how you yeah. approach it. I don't know. I don't, those, telling people who are never excited about anything, be excited about everything. You can't tell people how to feel. And we get excited and that helps when it comes to like aggressively acquiring information and shit. It helps to be excited about it. It helps you, it helps you work late. It helps you do stuff. I never felt uh, maybe one or two times like there was a, 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 in this particularly problematic situation, everything else was offered as a, like an opportunity. We can do something useful here. You can learn a thing. Go and, you know, do you, do you want to be in this? And usually the response is, yeah, I want to do that. Give me that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> when, can we, when can we start? Give me all the money, more data. And then you go home and you work till two in the morning and you go, I bet you didn't expect it this soon. Fuck it. So, 
you, that, you know, doesn't, you, that, you doesn't that just come from, from that comes from a sense of just innate intellectual curiosity, right? Oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to know more about this. Yes, I'll work I hope on so. project with you. And yeah, um, chronic coffee abuse, and um, I think Dan's yeah. comes from a sort of a roiling sense of collective insecurity. Who would I heard? <laughs> Over years of sitting in a laboratory across from me where I could actually reach the back of his neck. Yeah. <laughs> Slam it into a desk. Yeah. We had some we well, had some we had some strident discussions, didn't we? We did, but we both we we both learned from them a lot. And uh that was uh that that, that were great times. But you know, the good yeah, thing we're is with this, uh, with this podcast we can uh we can continue doing them and uh yeah, you know, we've, we've we've still got a lot of projects on in the back burner. Oh, that, man. Um, the, and the front burner. <laughs> and the front burner. Yeah, it's um, just a but, burner uh, continuum, and they slide up and down like hockey pucks. Yeah. Now you can keep on the verbal abuse without, you know, actually assaulting each other. Well, that this is like the a thing. Great working a, relationship. Dan is, Dan is horrible, except he doesn't want to admit it publicly. This is just, I've got much less compunction about being myself in public. Dan, Dan <laughs> wants you to think he's lovely, but he's, he's actually a rotten human being. I keep oh, telling yeah, people he, uh... this and they go, no, he's beautiful. He's like a velvet owl. Once, once, the, uh, once the record button is off, it's, uh, you know, yep. Dan, uh, Dan after dark. Billingsgate, Dan after dark. Yeah. That, would be, that would be a fantastic... Spin off podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Tell people two, what, two minutes, what I really Two think. minutes of you getting angry. He does actually start getting... sentences with, I'm mildly peeved and things like that. <laughs> well, on, um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk e-help. Oh, goody. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Uh, we are here for the first time with a special guest, uh, Robin Cock. And you can um, you can actually follow Robin Cock on Twitter. You can find him at uh, Robin N. Cock um, on Cock. Twitter there. Yeah. Cock. Yes. Cock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, now, James is given given weird, weird faces as usual. That's just my throw head. Me. That's just it's my just head, head, Daniel, you head racist. <laughs> so thanks for uh, we we got a lot of great uh, great feedback from our last episode, which was on zombie theories. So go back and have a listen. And uh, uh, we actually had a lot of people uh, suggesting um, their own zombie theories, which are theories that won't die despite uh, despite evidence otherwise. And uh, we had a lot it's of despite people, over, um, overwhelming, crushing evidence otherwise. Crushing. You know? No, so when something's when something's should... beaten to death and it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah, so yeah. we had um, we had uh, Alex Holcomb, who's uh, exceptional on Twitter, um, p- put it out there um, on on his Twitter account about uh, any zombie theories. Had a lot of people come back. Uh, one of them, uh, the amygdala being the seed of fear. That's a that good is, one. That's a good that is a one. very good one. We should have thought of that. Yeah, uh, learning styles. So that some people That's in particular, right. I think it's been a big debate in Australia, but I'm sure it's uh, global that um, some people um, have different learning styles, and we should cater learning styles to to. Uh, Different people and other ones more perceptual. Um, uh, serial exhaustive short term memory scanning. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it sounds really sciencey. Yeah. It sounds very sciencey. A feature integration theory as well. 
Um, I think uh, he's a good one. My Myers Briggs test. Oh, well, that was that never old, that, that old was chestnut. never a theory to start with. That's just a, <laughs> yeah. it's just a sack of hammers and people feeling special because they've got a code. Oh look, yeah, I'm, I'm just so proud of I'm just like I'm, Hemingway according to my code. You fucking failure. I'm INFP. Uh, uh, look at me. I'm INFP uh, or whatever what, that what, means. Which one? I'm which so one's proud of my that? wife. I'm d- I've I've um, I've in, I've indoctrinated my wife. She she works in uh, in human resources and um. And, and recruiting, and um, whenever she has a trainer coming in trying to teach them the Myers Briggs, she basically just 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 tears them apart. Just going, <laughs> where's where's your evidence? Oh, here's a paper from uh, from 1980. Do you have any more recent citations? So I've uh, yeah, she does she does very well in that sense. And yeah, I mean, you know, she she works in the industry and it's just rampant the use of uh, oh, yeah. of Myers Briggs. And I, yeah, I saw I'll... an excellent post going. You may as well use a BuzzFeed quiz. That, 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 that's just as accurate to, to figure out, you know, which Disney character are you when it comes to actually predicting your uh, uh, your, your performance in a job. That, um, that, so yeah, that, that was, that was I would one. I would prefer that because I'm very obviously Belle. Yeah, there you go. That put that on your CV. Yeah, by, by Buzz, uh, Buzzfeed.com/slash which Disney princess are you? I'm, yeah. I'm very obviously <laughs> that. The, the, the Stockholm professionally, I'm obviously the Stockholm syndrome lunatic guy who's in love with a hairy monster that's going to ruin my life. That's I'm going, most I'm scientists, going, surely. I'm going to put forward that who's Disney, which Disney princess are you is a better predictor of job uh, satisfaction and job performance than this Myers Briggs thing. Yeah, let's M Turk, M Turk that. M Turk it, M Turk. Yep, done. There you go. Then, so if there's any yeah, aspiring well, graduate students listening, just in case. That was a joke. Or anyone who wants to do free intern work for us and torture the hell out of that data set, and uh, please, uh, you can email us at, or, or, or tweet us. But um, but yeah, thanks for the thanks for the feedback and for everyone who was um, who was sharing that particular episode on uh, on zombie uh, theories. It's um, yeah, good to get that uh, that feedback out there. But. Today we uh, we have a special guest and we are talking e health. What what is e health, Robin? That's a good question. No one really knows what e health is. Um, there's been this um, this split in e health where one part of people, when they say e health, they mean electronic health records and and machines that go bing and all that. And the other part of uh, e health is more the um, interventions that use or, or partly use the internet for health promotion or psychological health promotion that's what i'd always assume what, what, what is your what is your research uh, focus on out of those two things i i mainly deal with internet uh based interventions um so i i do a lot of research on internet based um, um interventions for common mental disorders so anxiety depression all that stuff um, but lately I've been broadening this a bit and I'm starting to work on some projects that include uh, like um, health behavior and more broader things. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, an, it's a new field. I'd say it's about it's 2017 now. It's, it's less than 20 years old now. So it's um, relatively young at this point. Because this this was called telehealth to begin with. Yeah, there's what, a lot of it? there's lots of different uh, uh, names and definitions. I mean, if you look at the Google Trends, I think e-health is now the dominant uh, term. But it used to be called telehealth, and we've had telemedicine, and we've had all kinds yeah. of uh, different descriptions, which basically may That's... or may not mean the same thing. 
depending on who you There's talk to. Plenty of plenty of people uh, doing research into that in Australia because the yeah. um, obviously healthcare delivery over a, you know if you've got the population of New York State and the the geographic mass of the entire continental United States and you've got people in the middle, you can't just call the doctor. So but flying doctors. Flying doctors. Oh, that's fantastic. When those guys get rocket packs, people in the Northern Territory are going to get sick just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, now you mentioned Australia. So that's three quite unlikely countries that are, like, at the forefront of of the the EL kind that I'm uh, involved in, and that's uh, the Netherlands, where I'm from. Uh, There's Sweden, and there's Australia. Okay. And strangely, uh, why, up until why, now, the why year, Sweden. Yeah, that's a good question. But why the Netherlands? Well, I don't know. Yeah, because you guys don't have any colonies anymore. Well, <laughs> we we do. We're, we're paying for them, but we're not supposed to call them colonies anymore. Oh right. <laughs> Thank you, AJP Taylor. Um, I had no idea it was like that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I think the Netherlands because we've had the the, the biggest internet penetration um, in a long uh, for a long while. So other countries are now catching up, but I think we're on sure. top of the list of of people who actually had internet at some kind of reasonable speed at home. And I think Sweden okay. as well, and Australia, as you said, okay. it, it just has the geographical necessity of of offering such a service. Yeah, yeah, now, it makes, that makes where sense. Where are we at? You mentioned before that um, you're doing a lot of work with um, particularly interventions for depression and anxiety. Now, where are we at when it comes to trials for these interventions? Um, are we at the stage where we've done um, comparisons against um, against uh, typical treatments? And um, so, you know, what's the efficacy at the moment? Well, there's been, there is some evidence that it might be just as efficacious as face-to-face psychotherapy. There's been a meta-analysis of, uh, of uh, non-inferiority trials, actually. Um, mm. uh, we could link to that if I can find it. And it looks like, depending on how cynical you are, it's just as efficacious or just as placebo as, as face-to-face psychotherapy. But there's... Uh, right. there's there are, of course, meta-analyses... There are meta-analyses going way back that say essentially all psychotherapeutic methods are equivalent to each other. Yeah, that's the dodo bird for yeah, the, the, yeah, the dodo race thing. Everyone has won and must have prizes. Yeah. That's a, Do, it's, doing it's something super. is better than doing nothing is basically mm. what, what comes out of that. Who, who knew? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? So yeah, I, I guess that's where we are right now. But the problem is isn't in the in the clinical efficacy. The problem is in actually implementing this sort of thing, where it's fine if you have this amazing intervention, but you need to have this integrated in some kind of healthcare system that's already you know overstrained and has people who are working their asses off with not enough money trying to serve too many patients at the same time, and then you come in with this paradigm shifting disruptive technology uh, as people are calling it and and clinicians are just saying well that's all nice but we don't have time to do this and our patients think it's a bit dodgy right why is that why do they think it's dodgy 
Well, it's a familiarity because, thing, surely. A lot of, a lot yeah. of you, you, you don't just get people who are digital native. You get people who are sort of forty-five and up, and you go, "Oh, talk to the glowing box that's got a person." In it. <laughs> it's just an unfamiliarity thing to start with. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of a disconnect, I think, between research and 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 practice, because you have all these people that are trying to um, invent the most amazing, as James said, glowing boxes and fantastic new appy things and health 4.0 thingamahops. But mm. this this forefront knowledge isn't where people in clinical practice are. I think they think it's pretty modern if you send an email to your GP. You know, they, they if they want to come in for talk therapy, they don't, they feel like they're being fobbed off when you say, "Here, talk to the computer for a while," and they just that's, don't that's see it as as um, you know, this is real therapy. And and I say it's also it's a bit of a looking at the app store for an example. It seems like a bit of a cowboy industry at the moment, where you have a lot of people who are pushing their apps, which are in no way evidence-based whatsoever i mean there, there are some good parties out there who are putting out some actual evidence-based apps but um the, the, there are a lot of people who are um who are putting these apps out um yeah. making a lot of claims but with nothing to back it up that's that's dangerous well it can be dangerous it's uh you know absolutely right uh, one of my colleagues uh tara donka um actually did a systematic review of apps on the apple store i think and she, um, okay. from 5,000 apps at that point, and it must have been like 2012, late 2012, I think she found about nine apps that were actually backed by some kind of evidence. And basically anyone, nine. you know, with, yeah, nine out of 5,000. And basically anyone <laughs> can, can, can put on an app, Jesus. you know, uh, on the Play Store or on the, on, the, on the Apple Store, do it on a rainy Sunday afternoon and start caching. And there is no way, and this is also a problem in, in, in these stores, there is no way to know whether this is actually a good app. Yeah. Mm, and, and this is yeah. Uh, this is something I teach eHealth, and this is something I show my, my students. Uh, this is actually a comic from XKCD about the Tornado Guard, where they have this uh, app up, and it says, a Tornado Guard warns in case a tornado is near, and it has like five out of five stars, which is great. And then you look at the reviews, and review one is five out of five stars, and it's, yeah, a beautiful user design, and uh, it works really well. And Review number two is like five out of five stars. It's uh, completely fine, no, no lag. You know, it's, it's free, and it looks great, a great sound. And then Review three is one out of five stars, and it says, did not warn me when Tornado was near. And, but this is the kind of evidence that end users actually base their choice on when they go to the app store and they're feeling like shit and they want to do something and they see you know, a cornucopia of all these apps and all of them look fine. You know, They're all five-star ratings, they're cheap or they're free, and they just do something. Something very bleak and Blade Runner about the idea of someone who's having a mental health crisis going to the app store. Oh, but yeah, it's, what, um, what are they going to do? Yeah. The, the next step up know. is going they to take the advantage GPS of scene. when they're there. Yeah, you are uh, completely right about the the cowboy thing because there is absolutely no control about this. If you were to delete all non evidence based apps, there would be virtually no apps left. Yeah, I mean th- these things take take quite a while. Um, I know one of my colleagues or one of our co-authors, um, um, 
uh, is she's working on a app to uh, for, for social cognition for autism. Now this, this is this, this trial is taking years, mm. not only for the design of the app to actually test does this thing work. Yeah. Fantastic looking app, it's going to be cool. Um, but unfortunately, in the meantime, while, while she's actually getting evidence for the app, a lot of people are coming out, uh, particularly for autism, um, going, look, we have this intervention, it works, it, it, you know, cures autism and all those other bollocks. Ooh, um, but, really? Um, at the same... Yeah, just, yeah. just stop all <laughs> vaccinations and you will never get yeah. autism. <laughs> you don't need oh. an app for that. Uh, you, need a, no. you need some of those hemp pants with a high waist and a little hat that says, hockey mum. Mom, hockey mom. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a health based intervention for you. you know, I get all my health information from Infowars anyway. So yeah, um, natural <laughs> natural news. Natural news, yeah. Good. Lord. But yeah, the problem is, like you said, Dan, um, people do research and have fantastic clinical trials, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they they base their PhD on it, and then what they have is show that a product was efficacious four years ago on a platform that probably doesn't exist anymore. And they just yeah. bin the app. And that's the fate of many of these apps. I mean, they're fantastic. And even if, you know, they they continue, the research is continued, this project just goes on, how are you going to get this good app on top of the Play Store? And how are people going to see that this app is actually evidence-based? Because... Everyone is saying they're evidence-based because they read something about that being the thing. But the the one who pays the most gets on top of the Google Play Store results. So how? Oh, so you, you can do that? Uh, probably in Google Play. Either uh, that, you, or can, you, pay, you can. You can. You pay someone things. in Cambodia to just like your app fifty thousand times. It's the yeah. same on YouTube. You can just buy likes. Yeah. On Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I you think can get them no a different in... different quality as well. <laughs> I want some. I want some premium, top shelf, uh, organic, biodynamic likes, please. No, you can you can do that. You can literally buy um, you can buy likes from within your country as opposed to like likes from anywhere else. Um, the mm. only the only place that's really dealt with this really well is Facebook. Um, because to the extent where if you bought someone else likes, it'd screw their page up. Because it, it shows when you put something on your page. I've seen this on my page. This is really interesting. It shows it to a certain percentage of the people in the newsfeed, the people who are on your page. Otherwise, your Facebook would be unreadable. It would be just a deluge of shit from every possible angle, right? Mm. Um, you have a certain base percentage of people who need to interact with that. If they do actually interact with it, it'll start showing it to more people. It'll start popping up everywhere. So it's organically mm. determined what's useful or not, which but means what, that... What's the definition of interaction? Oh, you got to click it, like it, open it. You get metrics for all of that stuff. But yeah, the but whole the point quick, is that 85% of just... the people aren't... 85% of the people aren't real. No one's ever going to react to it, which means none of it's ever going to get seen. So if you buy likes, yeah. you're buying essentially a, a Facebook page where you, no one sees enough of it to interact with it. Now, every single other one is a lot more monolithic than that. So if you just buy likes in the Apple Store... They just go on the, the fucking thing. 500 ratings, uh, there you are. Yeah. At least no one's trying to deliver health interventions via Facebook. Yet. I'm sure someone's trying. I was doing that with an expectant, hopeful face where I'd hoping you weren't going, well, actually, a lot of people are trying that. <laughs> look, <laughs> and I, look, and, and it's killing people. 
you see a lot of self-styled gurus um, who would, you know, particularly now with with Facebook Live, everyone's got, everyone's got a phone in their pocket, and they're, they're doling out all the, you know, all, all, all sorts of advice. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's, um, I'm sure it's happening, um, un- unfortunately. Every but, time someone um, does that and goes, "I go live," I immediately remove them from all possible future interactions. You know, I, I, by different you know what functions. I want to see? Academic conferences. I want, show me the speakers live. The technology's there. Someone yeah. hold up a phone. I want to. I want to see old well, mate. The techno. You know? The technology's been there for many years, Dan. It's just that yeah, exactly. But, pieces but no of academia it. are ossified. Yeah. Um. And you know, I, I haven't. I'm yet to see a big conference. Maybe there's smaller conferences that do this, but a big conference that actually takes advantage of this. Um. Everyone's got. Mostly everyone has Facebook. And um, you can just record and, and have conferences live and, and, and record the things. I've um, been to plenty of them. Um, the, the, more, the more digitally based your conferences are, the more likely someone in the audience is going to say, you mind if I periscope this and send it to my friends? <laughs> That's happened to me a few times. So I'll go, oh, I think I know a guy who's going to be interested in this. Can I just periscope the whole thing? And so, of course, I can. I mean, that's the whole point. You're saying it publicly. It's not supposed to be a secret. So, yeah, send it to whoever. So people are hacking that together again? themselves. What are they doing at e-health conferences? Surely you're like so far ahead of the game. It's it's ridiculous. What's actually happening? It's uh, it's just your regular conference where everyone snoozes in the audience or works on their presentation and gets up and and you know makes a question that isn't actually a question but more a sort of really prolonged throat clinger about how awesome they are. But um, it, I, I think a lot of the larger conferences are actually just commercial organizations that do conferences um, on, on a commercial basis. So if they're going to stream all this stuff, why would people actually pay the absurd fee to go there and be there in person if they mm. could just stream it from Facebook? Yeah, I get that argument. If that's the point, then why not have a, a conference where everyone gets to sit at home in their underpants and stream in? The answer is there's an awful lot of places in tech and in vr and similar sorts of fields where that's exactly what people do they have avatar based conferences and i had this shit comes up all the time because some of my stuff crosses into vr i know some people in that sort of community and you get these things like every every two weeks there's a meeting on whatever um the obvious response to that is that people enjoy conferences the conference is any Mm. good um a lot of the time being forced to go through the human activity of looking at the person while they speak. I mean, the pe- person has to be good at speaking, but it is a, it's a, a that's most you people can, have, though. yeah, that's a lot of <laughs> academics completely gone. Um, but the, 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 the human element of that stuff's never going to go away. People make more decisions. I mean, people make all sorts of decisions at conferences, um, sometimes related to how much they've had to drink or what time of day it is. But, collaborations start and grants start and papers start and people are offered jobs. You need someone. There's like a, there's so many people are out pre-interviewing for a thing. People take job offers. The, the first, I, I, um, the first proper job offer I got here, um, it, did, it didn't fall through, but that wasn't, it kind of wasn't their fault. A guy went to a conference, literally, with a piece of paper, like knocking on doors, like, hello, everyone I've met. Do you know anyone who does all this stuff? And two people I knew who were at the conference went, oh, you need to talk to, you need to talk to James. He lives two hours away from you and he does all this stuff. So people are, the the, the human element of that shit's never going to go away. Obviously, we've all sat through some really terribly boring presentations now. 
and the 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 structure is there needs obviously to be reimagined. But there's also you just see that starting to happen, especially at smaller conferences. Smaller conferences have a lot more room to innovate and not be awful. People collect big conference presentations like it's a paper or it's a fucking grant or something. I got to present at Special Conference Malone. Well, what happened? Well, I stood there like a pudding and I was boring as all shit and everyone went clap. <laughs> well, what was the result of that? Nothing. You talked. You talked. Well done. Good for you. Enjoy that. I hope your tongue got a lot of exercise. Well, you're, you're describing, you know, the, the infamous networking that everyone's supposed to be doing. Oh, man networking is is such a I, I watch people who are supposed to be actually good at networking do it and some people are really good and most people are just sort of hey how are you here's the dollar what's that rub my balls and then they just fucking leave um it's it never happens often, when you force it it's, it's just forcing it's, it ah oh, that's the, the nice thing about you know natural interest wins again and you go there and you really don't want to be here like, oh you're gonna be great fun you're gonna be great fun well, that's when you freeze up and you're just standing there with a cup of coffee and you think, oh, shit, I should be networking. And that's when it's just every possibility for, for normal human, human interaction just dies like uh, snow in the sun. It's like, oh, yeah, shit, everything I do now is networking and I cannot do networking. Therefore, I'll just stand here awkwardly and wait for yeah. someone else to come talk to me. The problem wow. I have is networking too hard. <laughs> it's about the sort of the the third beer and you start grabbing people. <laughs> I really liked your thing. <laughs> we need to be friends. Apparently there's limits to this. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Where that's, Robin, a, that's an academic you, skill that never lists. Uh, that's an academic skill that never lists, you know, being being drunk and loud. That gets you uh, somewhere. They should make yeah. this blog that, post that said, James. The, grad, the grad student who was drunk and loud. That would have <laughs> yeah. been a better, a better uh, post. I'm having flash. The grad student who was drunk and loud. I would, I would, I would read that. Yeah, <laughs> I would subscribe. So, where do you, uh, where do you see the future of their health, Robin? Like, what, what's, what's, over, what's next in the next, next few years? You, you, you think? Hopefully, we're seeing a lot of people actually trying to implement this stuff in a in a meaningful way, and in a meaningful way, I think I mean that people need to implement this, uh, bearing in mind you know the right incentives for implementing this stuff. And the problem is that a lot of this stuff is being done on the assumption that it's going to be cost effective, and by cost effective, they mean cheap. <laughs> Right. So they, the assumption is that, well, we just replace half of all face-to-face -face psychotherapy with all this uh, flashy e-health stuff uh, means lots of money saved. And that's a nice assumption. But the first results that we've had is that people don't actually do less face-to-face -face psychotherapy. They just do the face-to-face -face psychotherapy plus the e-health stuff. And that's never going to be cheaper if you keep piling on stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you need to find some kind of meaningful way to integrate all this technology instead of just you know, opening a clinic's door and chucking this technology in and saying, well, there you go. Sort it out yourselves. And how are we actually going to convince, uh, you know, assuming, assuming the interventions work, which they seem to be working so far, how do we actually convince the clinicians 
to to roll this out to their to their patients because there seems to be a bit, a bit of pushback at the moment. Yeah, there's um, the UK has seen a lot of uh, pushback. They were also pretty much at the forefront uh, in in uh, internet based CBT specifically. And the problem is that they tried to push this so hard that um, there was a big pushback from the clinicians. And now it's sort of soiled the water where every new initiative gets uh, a- another bigger pushback. As in, ah, we tried this and this doesn't uh, really work. But I think for the clinicians, you should you should have some tangible benefit to, to not um, undercut their work. Uh, make sure that you actually do something for the patients. Mm. And don't don't bring it as something that'll a take their job or b uh, save money. Because a clinician isn't interested in saving money per se. But if you if you take it to that level, we're going to do this because we're going to save this huge sack of money. Well, that's not a very good argument for starting in the first place, especially if the evidence at this point is actually lacking that it's going to save some money. Mm. Now, I remember working, we did um, this, this uh, a clinical trial, this is years ago, one of my first jobs, and we were trying to recruit, recruit clinicians to work with us when it comes to recruiting their patients for a depression trial. And we were going to different doctors and they're like, you know, thanks, but no thanks, don't have the time, you know, see you later. And then um, what we did was we, we started going to clinicians and offering them, hey, if, you're, if you enroll some patients in, um, we're going to give you this um, this sheet which gives you a summary of how your patients have done. And it was basically a list of cognitive ability, uh, IQ, just a, a whole diagnostic list, uh, different biomarkers. Uh, and we gave them an example. And as soon as we gave them that, they were like, done, sign me up. Just that small little intervention, that small little push of actually giving the, 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 the doctor more information which they could pass on to their patient seemed to make uh, such a big difference. So I, I, I find sometimes you just need those small little things. To, uh, yeah, help, help things along. But this is this is something along the clinical lines of thinking. You know, this is patient centered, and at this point, mm. um, things are being implemented without a good evidence base, uh, and those are not patient centered. Yeah, actually, I did a, a paper coming back to the cowboys again. I did a paper with one of my colleagues uh, in Amsterdam called Jeroen Ruwaert, and the paper is called uh, "Wild West e Health." time to hold our horses and there we nice and, and, and dan, we... dan loves a goofy title so i love yeah. i love a good pun you know i spent so much time thinking of that but yeah go on but basically what we do is list four most common uh, uh reasons for implementing e-health and then we just argue why all these arguments are bad why these are terrible arguments to implement implement e-health and there are some good arguments to implement it but people are Picking for some reason exactly the wrong reasons for doing it, and, and but th- this paper came out a few years ago. Yeah, that was two two years ago, I think. Yeah. Okay. And mm. have, have things have things changed since then, or it's pretty People much people have old been story? staring awkwardly at me at conference. <laughs> but that's, no, they, is they that related to the paper? That. No, no, that's nothing new. I mean, if your surname is Cock, people will, you know, they'll stare at your name badge awkwardly for a while, you know, trying to find amusing ways to to sort of pronounce your surname that is not rude, and then they just wander off. <laughs> nice. Do you do you ever get Kook? I've Kirk? had so many iterations of Cock. It's uh, it's, it's amusing. <laughs> Dan, can we use can we use that as the uh, as the grab for the start of the podcast? Done. Meet that's, the six that's foot, how we're gonna <laughs> meet the six foot two inch cock. 
<laughs> that's how we will. Uh, that's how we bring it in. Um, but... <laughs> All right, on, that note, we... here, on, on that on that particularly mature note, we we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the uh, episode for today. But uh, thanks for joining us, Robin. Uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've we, we appreciate this. No worries. Yeah, you've um you, you've given us a. And, uh, you know, we, we could have spoken about E-Hill, but we probably would have been wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so it was right. good to have um, someone who is um, who is an expert to, yeah. to share their expertise. So, yeah, thank you for uh, for, for coming on. Thanks but, for having uh, me. Lis- no, pleasure. But uh, listeners, thanks for, for listening. As always, you can contact us on uh, at Everything Hurts on Twitter, on our Facebook page. Um, keep giving us... Um, uh, episode ideas keep them coming jordan as well you always give us some uh some uh, some some great stuff and uh we will be uh back again soon bye for we now we will bye bye <laughs>